Hello, I'm Joe Honey Hockey, and welcome to the Heavenly Social, where I introduce you to our heavenly brothers and sisters. Here in the U.S., it's very common to find cities named after saints. There's San Antonio, St. Paul, St. Cloud, and etc. It's an interesting practice that, for several of these cities, harken back to well before the United States formed. It reminds us of these great saints, and asks, through their intercession, that God may protect the city. But, okay, if you've ever named anything, then you probably don't need me to explain why we do this. But why do I bring this up, though? Well, if you read the title of the episode, then you have likely guessed where I'm taking this. Yes, today I would like to talk about a saint whose name happens to be on a major American city. So I ask, are you the parent of a large family? Do you wish for an example of one afforded much who gave himself in service to the poor? Then may I introduce you to our friend, St. Louis IX of France. Roll intro. Louis Ninth, a name befitting a king, and a king he was. But before I go more into that, let's take a quick look at some details regarding his far more prestigious title of saint. We celebrate St. Louis's feast day on August 25th, and he has a fair number of patronages. Uh, just a few of those include barbers, crusaders, French monarchs, grooms, and parents, especially parents of large families. With that said, let's learn about this holy French king. Louis IX was born on April 25th of the year 1214 in Poissy, France, which is now a suburb of Paris. <coughs> I'm sorry, excuse me, Paris. He came from a very large family, he had three older siblings, and eventually seven younger siblings. But since his older siblings sadly didn't survive their early years, Louis was the heir to the throne, something that w would come to him shockingly early. When Louis was born, his grandfather, Philip II, was still alive, and therefore the reigning king. He passed away in 1223, when Louis was nine years old. So Louis's father, Louis VIII, took the throne. As that goes. Accomplishing much, he did, to bring peace within the French borders, and with England. But he passed away in 1226, three years after ascending to the throne when our Louis IX was only 12 years old. Now, growing up to eventually be a monarch, not the butterfly, but the king, you better believe that Louis grew up with a phenomenal education. This included religious formation, not just education, but formation. His mother, Blanche of Castile, instilled in him an intense devotion to God, 
and this devotion informed his actions throughout his life. To give you an idea of just how serious this instruction was, Lewis's mother once told him, quote, I would rather see you dead at my feet than guilty of a mortal sin. Sounds pretty intense, right? But there's a great love in what she said to him. She communicated to Lewis effectively that we are to live our lives according to the spiritual things. We are not to live according to the ways of the world. This was a lesson that stuck with him. So, Lewis is 12, going on 13 when he is crowned King of France. He could have been the most mature 12-year-old ever, but that wouldn't change the fact that he was still 12. Okay, now, I'm not saying he was the most mature 12-year-old ever, I'm just, you know, making a point here. <laughs> and, uh, th yeah, that uh, he was definitely not fit to lead a country. It seems everybody else at the time thought so as well. So his mother acted as the queen regent and ruled in his stead until he would reach the appropriate age. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not like Lewis sat back and enjoyed the life of royalty while his mother did all of the work. Even though she's the one who held the reins, as it were, he was still active in the court, and even in the military, all while still receiving instruction from his mother and his tutors regarding all of these matters that uh, he's engaging in. There doesn't seem to be uh, an official record of time in which Lewis took on his full authority as king, but a few sources indicate that it may have been around the time that he was 21, or maybe going on to 21, so around the year 1235, give or take a year. Now, even when he assumed full authority and was finally the guy in charge, his mother definitely still remained, and uh, remained very close as an advisor. I mean, that, that only makes sense. Well, his mother, as it happens around this time, found a noblewoman for her son Louis to marry. This noblewoman's name was Margaret, and she was the daughter of the Count of a southeastern French region called Provence. From what I have read, these two, Margaret and Louis, lived a very faithful and very fruitful marriage. Apparently, Margaret, though she was beautiful, was chosen to be Louis's wife mostly because of her piety and because of the seriousness with which Margaret took her faith, she and Louis grew immensely as Catholics and worked together to bring Christ to their people. It seems that they got along so well, in fact, that Louis's mother actually became rather jealous. <laughs> yes, faithful they were, and, as I also said, fruitful. King Louis and Queen Margaret had eleven children together. Two of them sadly died in infancy, but the other nine grew up in a faith-filled and loving home. Noble he was, King Louis, 
and immensely popular with his people. He was known to invite over a hundred poor people into his palace daily, where he would personally serve them dinner. He also personally acted as the supreme judge and would actually go sit under an oak tree in a park nearby where people could come to him and appeal decisions that were made in the court. And from what I understand, he's either the first person or, you know, one of the first uh, people to really normalize and uh, kind of make official the idea of innocent until proven guilty. So he would approach all of these cases, even if it was between a poor person and a rich person, presuming innocence. So, I mean, that's pretty cool, you know, given that that's kind of the ideal that our judicial system is based on today, which is pretty darn neat. In addition to all this, he made usury illegal. So what that is, is uh, basically lenders could no longer charge interest on loans. Now, wouldn't that be nice? Because too often, that the practice of lending money was abused in favor of the lender. Hmm. Well, as if that wasn't enough, he commissioned the construction of many chapels and monasteries. With the very first monastery he commissioned uh, was back when he was 14 years old. Well, and... and Perhaps the most famous and arguably the most beautiful chapel he commissioned is the Sainte-Chapelle, which is a gorgeous little building. It's a chapel on top of what is now the Palace of Justice, and I highly encourage you to look it up. It is truly beautiful. It looks as though the entire thing is made of stained glass windows. It is breathtaking in pictures, and I can only imagine what it looks like in person. Now, this chapel was specifically built to house uh, many relics that St. Louis acquired, uh, most notably the Crown of Thorns. Okay, so I, I mention these things in part because they're cool, and because I, I think that they really highlight where Lewis's priorities were. He used his station and his wealth to glorify God in any and every way that he could, from literally serving God's people to enabling artisans to bring the beauty of heaven to us here on earth. He was strict, though. He held himself to a very high standard. Recall what his mother said about rather... Seeing him dead than committing mortal sin? Well, he grew to truly resent sin, especially mortal sin. I mean, he would wear a hair shirt and would also scourge himself. He practiced penance a lot. Okay, so quick aside for those of you who might not be familiar with this terminology, the, the terminology of, of uh, like mortal sin. So we classify sin in two ways, venial and mortal. Venial sins are minor offenses we commit against God. You could think of them as stains on a white garment that are easily washed out. 
but they don't violate the integrity of the garment. Mortal sins are those actions that are truly grave, that when committed with full knowledge and will, separate us from God. These sins you can think of as cuts to our white garment. These cuts diminish the integrity of the garment and require us to take it to an expert in order to mend it properly. In the case of mortal sins, we go to the Sacrament of Reconciliation to mend the wounded garment that is our soul. Alright, back to the story. Not only a just man, King Louis viewed himself as a lieutenant of God. To this end, he participated and led troops in the Seventh and Eighth Crusades. During the Seventh Crusade, Louis was captured, and it was up to his wife Margaret to organize his ransom. Upon payment, Louis was released. But during his captivity, he prayed the divine offices daily, and actually impressed his captors with his piety and his friendliness toward them. Perhaps it was because of this, he was able to negotiate a temporary truce upon his release, and he was able to then encounter the Holy Land, and uh, spent a good deal of time walking in the footsteps of Jesus there. He returned to France, though, upon learning of his mother's death, and upon returning, he went to work actually punishing the royals who abused their stations while he was away. He set forth quite a number of laws to keep royal officials in check, uh, some of which, uh, some rules of which included he forbidding gambling and prostitution and, um, yeah, just all of these vices that uh, royals would tend to abuse. Well, so this actually just ended up greatly benefiting France. Years later, he led the Eighth Crusade, which was launched in the year 1270. Louis attempted to invade the city of Tunis, which is a city on north-central Africa along the Mediterranean Sea. Okay, yes, I, I know that Africa is a big place, but I don't expect you to be an expert on geography. Okay, but if this helps, you know how the island of Sicily is right at the toe of the boot that is Italy? Okay, so if you picture that, if Italy were to kick Sicily, it would hit Tunis. No. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm terribly sorry if I only made things more confusing. <laughs> well, anyway... Louis launched his attack on Tunis, but upon landing, his army was struck with disease, namely dysentery. Louis contracted this disease as well, and he ended up passing away there on August 25th of 1270, at 56 years old. He was canonized a saint in 1297 by Pope Boniface VIII, and there you go. Now you know St. Louis just a little bit better. Sometimes, when I study a saint's life, a virtue will just pop out at me. Other times, a virtue might be obvious, but it doesn't quite jump at me. Obviously, a saint is going to exhibit virtue. That's kind of a prerequisite. 
And while I've alluded to this in past episodes, when I say virtue, I definitely use that term loosely. I don't explicitly mean one of the theological virtues or cardinal virtues. The purpose of this, in addition to just not trying to avoid repetition, is to also provide a sort of challenge to find how virtue worked in the lives of the saints. The mechanism by which these people became heroic in our eyes. It helps me, and I hope it helps you, my dear listener, to see the unique ways in which these broadly categorized virtues can appear uniquely within our lives. With that said, when reflecting on St. Louis's life, what jumped out at me was that he exercised and grew virtue in his life through responsibility. Now, this occurred to me as I looked at what the fruits of the Holy Spirit I saw in his life, and goodness actually really stood out to me. Now, I interpreted it kind of like this. To do good is to do what one ought. Certainly, there are many other ways of understanding goodness, but in the context of everything that I've just looked at and read and everything, uh, this is what's kind of coming to me right now, which leads me to then responsibility. Goodness and responsibility seem to go hand in hand here. What are those things we are responsible for in our lives, or have a responsibility to in our lives, at this moment? And how well do we tend to them? You could say that one measure of our goodness is found in the seriousness with which we do the things we're supposed to do. This doesn't even have to be super specific. Let's just look back at St. Louis. He knew, understood, and accepted the responsibility of his role as king. What is the responsibility of a king? The same as any leader. You could say it's the same responsibility as a father. The well-being of his people. The well-being of his family. St. Louis took the welfare of the people under his rule with the utmost seriousness, and from this, he very clearly found joy. Wow! It's almost as if virtues and spiritual fruits build off of one another. Who would have thought? Anyways, Louis was considered a good man because he acted as God would expect of him. I might like to draw a comparison with any of the saints who gave away like their entire fortunes, who gave away everything. Uh, someone maybe like Catherine Drexel. Uh, I mean, there, there's others that I can't quite think of right now, but she does great. St. Louis didn't do what she did. He didn't give away everything. He didn't renounce his title. He didn't do that. Uh, in fact, he built up the wealth of France. He made the country more stable. He made the country just all around better. 
by using his office. And subsequently, he really benefited himself. Yet he's a saint. It's such a common thing to see in the lives of saints, where an individual gives up everything to live poorly amongst the poor. I mean, after all, isn't that Christ's calling to give up everything and follow him? I think it all comes back to our responsibilities. See, Lewis didn't need to give away his fortune or his titles or, or any of that because he wasn't keeping it for himself. He didn't keep his title because of some sort of vain uh, pleasure that he got from being called a king. You could say that, I mean, by commissioning all of the art and the churches and the chapels and, and by spending all of that money to feed hundreds daily, that he was almost like trying to get rid of his fortune, but the money just kept coming back to him. Now, in the case of, say, Catherine Drexel, she didn't just dump her money out on the street and walk away. She actually used it to build up a religious order. She gave it away responsibly. The, the giving away that these saints practiced wasn't simply for the sake of getting rid of these things, but rather... They did it with the responsibility that came with owning those things in the first place and of having the positions that they did. Well, the same goes for us. I'm of the thinking that when Jesus tells us to leave everything and follow him, he's not saying that those things are bad. It's not bad or inherently evil that we own things or, you know, let's say that we are rich and privileged. It's not bad that does entail a certain level of responsibility. After all, Jesus is the reason that these things exist, yeah? But we have to remember that he, that Jesus and his love, his example, his mission, is the most important thing of all. And when we keep our eyes fixed on him, the material things in our lives the privileges that we have been afforded no longer become self-serving, but they become tools and opportunities to bring the light of Christ into the world. In some cases, yeah, that might necessitate us giving things away or you know, becoming poor. Other times it might be like St. Louis, where it doesn't make us poor, but there's still a responsibility to those who don't have what we have, who don't have the privileges that we have. Responsibility. That's what I have learned from St. Louis's life, and I pray that by his intercession, we may all bear our responsibilities with the goodness of the Holy Spirit. That does it for this episode. Remember to keep your heart in the faith, and one day someone might just tell your story. See you next time. Now roll that intro. Now there doesn't really be an... Uh, not only just a man. No, that's not right. Next time, I think I'm going to talk about a different kind of leader.
perhaps the leader of a society. See ya.